Our guidelines for living this morning is from Matthew 22. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Let's stand together, can, and we sing of God's name.
It's a peace that the world can 
G. Spafford. Uh, he sent his wife and daughters on to England after they had a fire in, in his uh, buildings, and what had happened was he lost everything. In losing that, though, as he was cleaning up from that mess, Spafford got word from his wife in a telegram that, that she was the only one who survived the shipwreck that came to their um, on their ship going across to England. And there were three daughters, I believe, that were lost in that shipwreck. And um, Spafford, when he was going back to England to comfort his wife after so much tragedy, he uh, thought on Psalm 103. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He had the ship captain pause the ship that he was on, and there he wrote these words to this hymn in reverence to God and to his children that were lost in this sinking of the ship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful witness this hymn gives. Lord, we pray, Father God, for those that we know that are struggling in their lives right now. We thank you that you're a God who understands and brings comfort and strength. I thank you too, Lord, for the multiple thousands of gifts that you give us every year in our lives, both materially and physically, and also the wonderful gift of spiritual life and eternal life with you forever. Lord, bless the gifts that are given here for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. When
Father in heaven, we just give you thanks and praise and honor for being in the presence of you right now that we can worship you and give honor to you and give thanks to you for all that you've done for us. We pray especially, Lord, that as our world continues to go on, we lift up to you our leaders of our nation and for this world as uh, there seems to be a wide a deal going on with Russia, Croatia, Lord, and for um, we pray especially for the presence of those two countries and also our role in that, Lord, and the challenges that are ahead of it. We think also of China and the roles that they're playing with Taiwan and many other spots in our world. And we just live it up to you, Father. We know that you're in control. We're grateful for that. We pray also for our church as we've made a decision and the challenges that will be ahead of us. But Lord, we know um, we're concerned about our denomination. We never wanted to go this way but father we are seeing that you're being forced and so lord may we use uh, this opportunity as a way to glorify you and make a statement so that people can hear and today heavenly father we think of those who are struggling with their health i think father god especially lucille and kay i pray also for mary and joyce we pray for our brother billy who just came off of covid and now has to go get some heart uh, evaluation because some of the things that are going on there and we don't know if it was because of COVID or whether it was there's something going on in his body we just lift him up to you we pray also for Jeff Peavy who just had hip surgery Lord and be with him as he recuperates in his home I pray also too for our brother Don who's recovering from his knee surgery but will also in the middle of this month will start on his hip and that they will operate on it and I just pray that you give him a speedy recovery also and healing and no, um, no any germs or any uh, things that could cause him infection. And Father God, we also pray for Betty's husband, Howard, just continue to be with him and bring healing to him. We pray for all those in our church who have suffered uh, and losses this past year and who are broken inside their hearts because of it. I just pray that you'll bring your comfort upon them. I pray also for a little gal um, that I ministered to this week that lost her husband. I just pray that you'll be with her and her five children as they deal in that grief and move forward in their lives. And I just pray that you'll supply their needs. I pray also too, Father God, for uh, those who we know that are addicted and going through difficulties in their life, for Ryan and for Jordan and for Eric and for Ricky and for Mitch. Uh, Lord, these guys are under the bondage. I pray also too, Father God, for others that we know of that are dealing with stuff in their lives. I think of those who are struggling with marriages, some who are struggling with forgiveness, some who are struggling with difficulties over what has happened to them in the past. I pray that you give them victory over it and that you give them the faith to battle through. I pray also too, Lord God, as a great nation that we have, Lord, but Lord, we just pray for an outpouring of your spirit and conviction in that, Lord, that you will be respected among the nations and you'll be respected in this nation particularly. And Father God, we lift up people that we know that are going through difficulties in their lives as we lift their name up. You know what's going on in their lives. Lord, hear our prayers as we lift them up to you. Father, I pray for Raleigh's friend who is there now looking for a nursing home for her as she has just had a stroke, very active woman. I just pray that you be with her during that time. 
I pray also too for Dan, who uh, Lord right now is going through some difficult time and Sandy's friend, uh, whose husband has to have major surgeries tomorrow and has got a lot of things going on. We just pray for his healing. Be with her also as she ministers to him, his wife, and bring them comfort and peace and strength and supply for their needs, Jesus. Lord, thank you for this time now that we come before your word and as we finish this beautiful book. That, Lord, you know what we need and what we need to hear today and may we apply it into our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he writes a powerful statement. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Thanks be to God in Christ who always leads us in triumph through us the spread of fragrance of the knowledge of Christ is everywhere. Those words are powerful words and sounding of his triumphantness in Christ. Even though Paul had just gone through a horrific experience in Asia and where he was utterly and brutally beaten and crushed and put in despair and great loss of hope. And out of all that terrible pressure, all that terrible conflict that Paul went through, he writes this triumphant thought and passage. And what we think about here is this is really the Christian life. There's a lot of ups and downs in all of our lives. And there are times that we need to really focus on the triumph that we have in Jesus Christ. Because life can get despairing. Life can knock us down. But that God's provision is to give us victory through it as we trust him. And this is the book of Esther. Here we have this group of people who were under pressure. They were going to be killed. Haman had devised this plot to destroy all one million Jews in the providence of Persia. And yet God in his infinite wisdom worked behind the scenes and developed the plan that caused them to be free. What a powerful thing out of a little girl who was a peasant and her uncle who raised her because her mother and father had died early in her age and how God reversed Haman's plot in using the king who was blind and a drunk to kill the Jews. God turns it around and does like he does with us that we were under the bondage of the law and now we're free in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're familiar with the kind of pictorial presentations that the Old Testament gives. And this is the beauty about the Old Testament and reading the Old Testament. Not only does it give us the theological input into our life, but it also gives a visual understanding of how God works and to see him the way he does that. And that gives us an understanding of the New Testament and what we're about. And one of the things that we see here in this passage is that right now in chapter 9, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg, about a third of the iceberg. Two-thirds of it has already happened. Now God has worked with Israel to deliver them and how he even raised and took away Haman out of the picture who made his own execution weapon and wound up waking it for Mordecai, but wound up being executed on it. And what we see is this unchangeable law that was supposed to be in place and how we see that the, their experience was that he rolled the dice for the date to which all the Israelites were to be exterminated from Persia. And that very date became a day of celebration and hope for the children of Israel because God reversed it all. 
You and I go through trials and difficulties. And God knows what we're going through. And he puts us through them. You know, the Bible tells us in James that the devil tempts us. Tries to bring us away from God. And yet the Bible also tells us that God tests us. So that we really get the knowledge and the wisdom we need of faith in our hearts. And that God will put us through things in our lives and difficulties to challenge us so that we really grasp a hold of what God is doing. And sometimes he conducts basically examinations like you would as a student. And he puts us through those things so that we understand what he's doing. For instance, we saw that in the New Testament. Jesus one day was out and he was teaching the disciples about faith. And he gave them the ideas about faith. He tried to get them to understand that he told them about how faith grows in the person and how faith is developed and how we're to use faith. And right after that, Jesus makes a statement to them and says, let's go over on the other side of the sea. Well, sure enough, they get in the boat and these are experienced fishermen and they're in the boat and everything is going smoothly and all of a sudden this huge storm comes. Now God had appointed that storm. For a test for the disciples. Because they just had learned about faith. And all of a sudden all these waves come down. And they're getting smashed around. And they're panicked. Now these are experienced guys who have been through storms before. But nothing like this one. And what do they do? They go to Jesus who's asleep. In the hull of the boat. And they say to Jesus. Jesus don't you care? We're going to drown. We're sinking. And Jesus stands up. And says be still. And the waves stop. And then Jesus says to them, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus is teaching them about faith. And how many opportunities have we had in our lives where we've had those opportunities and where we've learned about faith? We know it. I've even preached on it. And then to hear and to see God push me into a situation where I'm examined, where I'm challenged. I've seen this happen to me time and time again. When I was in New Jersey and I preached on faith one time on that Sunday and then that Tuesday, a crisis hit us, Sandy and I, and about our child that was in her belly and, and how we were so worried because she, they thought she had a clot and that I could break loose and go to her brain. And I'd have two little children to raise by myself and how my faith was tested. And this is what happens that God does in our lives each and every time. He's preparing you and me. There are times that I read the scriptures and I think, oh, that's wonderful. And I process it. And then I go out into the street that day or that week and I experience something that he's teaching me to the examination of what has just learned by me. You see, God does that for us. And he did that with Mordecai and Esther and how he showed them who living in this environment that was totally pagan and where they had their faith was not very strong. God showed them his work and his will behind the scenes. And what we find now is that they're at the end of it. And they've just about ready to be cleared of all the problems that they had. And if you remember in the Medes and the Persians, Haman had put out this edict that said that on this day of Pur. And what we know of the purr was is that these dice that they threw to find out the date in which they were going to kill and exterminate all the Jews 
And he had the king who was drunk sign the papers. And now it can't be reversed because those, they never reversed the Medes and the Persians' edicts. That now Mordecai and Esther were given this new edict where anybody who went and threatened the Jews, they could kill them and exterminate them. And so this is what happens. And we find here in chapter 9, verse 1, and now the 12th month, this is the month of Adair, on the 13th day, the king's command and the edict where it was about to be executed on that day, when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the masteries over them, it was turned to the contrary. So the Jews themselves were gained the mastery over those who hated them. And the Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Azarus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand before them. For the dread on them had fallen on all the peoples. Here God turns the whole thing upside down. And now the Jews are in control. And people are threatened by them because they're able to defend themselves. And how what happens here? You hear this term. That's very interesting. That they feared. They feared. The enemy feared. Because God was at work. The same thing happened throughout the Old Testament. Jacob with his Shechem to Bethel. And there were cities who were trying to fight them. And yet God put a fear on the people. So they didn't touch Jacob as he traveled. We see the same thing happen. That dread. When Rahab. Who was in that great city. Jericho. And she hid the spies. Because she feared. She had a fear inside of her. About this God that she heard about. That was of the Israelites. And she respected him so much so that she believed and she hid the spies. And she obeyed the voice of God. One of the problems in our generation today and generations that have gone by is because they lack the fear of God in their hearts. One of the tragedies that we have in our society today is that churches do not fear our God. They're places of social opportunities, but the fear of God is not there. Why well, even take the scriptures and they replace it with their own scriptures and what they want to believe and what they want to justify in their lives. Christians today, this is why we're leaving our denomination because we have had denomination who they refuse to challenge those who are living against the word of God and who are doing things that are outside God's plan. And what they have done then is they replace it for what they want. And they refuse to listen to God because they don't fear God. The Bible says in Revelations that when that happens and in the end comes wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked, they will be. And that they will become prisoners of war of God and they will be destroyed. You see, people don't understand that we're living in the weapons of war. And destruction are spiritual. There is an attack on America. There's attack on what is right in our world. When we see district attorneys who are having men and women who are felons, murderers, being turned out into the streets, we have to question where their calling comes from. They have no fear. They're not afraid of God. They're not afraid of justice because they are the ones who think that they're in authority and have the control and they don't respect the law of the land. We see it. And what happens is, is the church has become that way. We wanted to appease people. 
We wanted to be accepted rather than trusting in God's word and standing for the word of God. In the book of Acts, it talks about people who liked to hear nice things but have no substance to them. It's a delusion of what they're building on and they will stand for it. What we find here is that two people who had little faith and yet they trusted what God wanted them to do and they turned this thing around because God was in it all and he moved and changed through Mordecai and for Esther so that no longer that they could, def- they could defend themselves. In that very day of Purim, the celebration began. Why? Because the Purim, which were the dice, that day that was settled for the Jews to be executed and killed and eliminated from their society, now has become the day of joy. Because God turned it all around and gave the Israelites the ability to defend themselves. And what had happened was, it's amazing, that 75,000 people who were against Judaism and anti-Semitic were killed on that day. 600 were killed in Susha, the very capital city. And that part of that slaying came of 10 men, the 10 men of Haman's children, because of why they built their hope on what their father had and how their father named them because of the selfishness. It's amazing how the Bible speaks about all this. It's so funny. And sometimes we don't understand God. We don't understand how he's working, you know, especially when we're going through in our lives and and we're challenged. You know, see, the thing that people don't understand, and this is something that I studied this week that was so powerful, and that is the incomprehensibility of God. See, people think they know God. You talk to a common guy on the street, and he thinks he knows everything about God, and God's got love, and he's going to take care of me, and they have no clue. You see, the Bible is clear that God is knowable. But we don't know hardly anything about God unless he reveals it to us. In fact, the Bible shares with us that God is incomprehensible. That we could study from now until today in eternity, all of eternity, and we would never fully understand and know God. You know, we sit there and sometimes we say, God, what are you doing? Because we don't understand him. We don't understand his ways. Yes, we, have a, we can have a true and personal knowledge of God. But his greatness, the Bible says, is unsearchable. The Bible says in Isaiah, his thoughts are not our thoughts and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways and your ways are not my ways. We see, oh, the depths of the riches of the blessings of the knowledge of God, Paul says. He understands the infathomability of understanding God fully. And yet we can comprehend a little of God because he lets us have that. What a gift that is for us to know him. And what he does is that even though we're limited, that we're finite and he's infinite, he lets us know aspects of him and know him in a very loving and personal way. And we get to see just glimpses of his perfect unity and his knowledge and his wisdom, his justice, his patience, his kindness, even his jealousy. And it affects who we are. And you see, one of the things that we miss out, and this is why it's so beautiful that hymn we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul, because Spafford, even in his trial, 
had a glimpse of how great God was, even though he didn't understand it, was overwhelmed with grief in his life. It is okay. It's well with his soul because God had planned it. And the reason why we don't understand God, you see, is because we're finite. He's infinite. He's perfect. And even the effects of sin on our lives perverts and distorts sometimes what we think God is. I've read some theologies and, and I can see how they don't understand the God of the Bible and what they do is they pervert what God has to say. It's happened in the church today. Oh, we've used the world's way of trying to bring people into the church, but we don't see God's way and how God has chosen. And what a wonderful thing. We're promised children of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, that even though it's hard to know God, he reveals certain things to us. Secrets about himself that the world doesn't even understand. And how he reveals that to you and to me as believers. And we'll never fully know who God is. We can search from now until the end of eternity and we'll never know him fully. But we know the wonder of his love and his mercy and grace, his sovereign will, and that should bring wonder and awe to our hearts and minds. It should make us even humble us as we look at him and we see his impeccable mystery, how he's so different than us in what he does and how we sometimes struggle. God is knowable in certain aspects, but he's also incomprehensible. In heaven, we're not even going to understand him fully. And we'll be able to search for him infinitely all through eternity and still never fully get it. And with this knowledge, you see, that we have of a glimmer of God and how he works, this should bring into our hearts a delight to know that we're special in his sight. And he's brought to us such great hope and joy with what he has given to us in our knowledge. What a wonderful thing it is to have that for us as Christians. That's ours. And Esther and Mordecai get the glimpse of this, even in the pagan culture that they lived in. And notice what happens. They call for a cleansing. This is something that they had to do that God had promised way back in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Notice they were killing all these people that were anti-Semites, that were from Haman's family. Do you remember that? They were supposed to be killed by King Saul back in 1 Samuel, 600 years earlier, and they weren't because he was selfish and because he was greedy. And he wanted to think that he was more, knew more about God, more than God did in 1 Samuel 15. But finally, 600 years later, God does it through these two folks in the ministry that he gave them. Haman and his 10 sons were destroyed. It's interesting, if you know anything about the Hebrew Bible, they list in this passage, I don't want to, because I don't want to stumble through trying to pronounce all those names. But the names that are given to Haman's son are basically reflective of who Haman was and that he was a selfish, angry person who wanted control. And every name that is given to Haman's sons has to deal with a self 
For instance, his one son is named self-sufficient. The other one is named self-indulgent. The other one is self-assertive, self-ambition. All these selves were the names of his children. And God was reminding Israel that that pride of self that Haman had spilled out into his family and should never be a part of the Israelite culture and the Israelite faith. Haman tried to exalt himself, and in doing so, he wound up dying. He lost his life. And the Bible tells us that, Jesus, doesn't he? He says, if we try to gain ourselves, we'll lose. And if we lose our life for Christ's name, we're going to save it. And Haman was just the opposite. And Esther and Mordecai come to understand this. For what is a prophet of man if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? You see, and this is one of the things that God uses as they deal with these people. Notice what it said. They never laid hands on the plunder. God wanted to teach the children of Israel. They were allowed to take the plunder and fill their, um, um, the money uh, into their boxes. But God didn't want them to do that. Why? Because he wanted the world to see that they did not just do this out of revenge. They did not do this out of the plunder and making money on it. All these people were killed and put out because it was the will of God. And they were doing it solely because of the will of God and that they were willing to do it. And you see, what a reminder to us in our lives. The Bible tells us and shows us that self needs to be done with. It needs to hang on the tree. Jesus said it, Luke 9, 23. If anybody wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the way to live the faith life. Not for self, but for God. That we have relationships that may not help us get closer to God. That they need to be eliminated. Haman's family was a disgusting mess. And all those who were the Agagites were, were, were trying to destroy the children of God. And God had them eliminated. And there are things and relationships that you and I have that maybe are not the best things for us. And that we need to eliminate them. I know I have a lot of unchristian friends that I try to help and deal with and try to influence their lives for Christ. But there comes a point that you have to be realized that, that they can start influencing you away from God. And you've got to be very careful of that when you do that. And that there's some unhealthy relationships. There are Christians who claim to be Christians, and they may be Christians. But if they're not walking in the Lord and they're influencing you to go away from the Lord, you've got to get rid of them, especially if they're changing you. And the spoils of life. How easy it is, Jesus reminds us, that the things of this world can take us and take hold of us and that they, they, they make us want to live for them rather than for Christ. And we have to be so careful of that. That's why this, this passage is so good for us, that we need to eliminate and we need to walk with Christ and not for ourselves. That our relationships that don't help us walking in the Lord and that are pulling us away, we need to eliminate them. We can still keep them as friends, but we need to keep them at a distance because if we see they're influencing us away from the Lord, we need to get rid of them. And that also the things of this life, that they don't own us and that we appreciate the blessings that God has given us and we use them for his glory, but that we don't let them drive us, that we let Christ drive us instead. And see, that comes to our third point. And we have a celebration. This is the Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim is that remembering that dice that was thrown 
that for the day in which they were going to kill and exterminate all the Jews now has become the feast of Purim. And notice what it says here in this celebration. Then Mordecai recorded the events and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ezra's, both near and far. And obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same month annually. Because on those days the Jews rid themselves of the enemies and it was a month in which they turned for them from sorrow into gladness and the mourning into holiday. That they would not, they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. You see what happens? They start celebrating what God has done and they start having this generosity in their hearts because they're so grateful for what God has done for them. And it's the very day that they're celebrating. Those dice were thrown to eliminate the Jews. Now it's their great day of joy because God delivered them from the enemy that was going to kill them. And you see, that's what God wants us to do. That we should have that deep center joy inside of our heart from what Christ has lifted us from. And it sets us free to really enjoy people and God and, and giving ourselves to others. That joy spilled over into good deeds that these people did. And how thrilled they were and what God had done for them. And their generation's generosity just explodes with joy in God because of the deliverance that they had been given. And you see, all throughout the Bible, God wants us to be celebrators. He wants us to remember, to remember the dates and times that God has delivered us. You know, one of the sad things for me sometimes is days like July 4th or Memorial Day. And we see it's a great time for family to get together and do hot dogs and burgers and have nice drinking and, and sharing of fellowship. But oftentimes those days blend away from the real meaning for those days, which were those people who gave their lives for our country. I think of that with Veterans Day and July 4th. But we get so caught up in the celebration or the fun time that we forget what they're all about. I know about a year ago, I had to go visit somebody in the VA hospital and I was stopped. Every time I see the sign, it just, I'm stopped in my tracks because here it says, the price of freedom. And then you walk down the hall, you see a guy in a wheelchair with no leg. You see another one who can't see and is yelling for the nurse. You see others, no arms or legs, or feeding tubes. Those are the price for freedom. And sometimes we lose sight of that. At Purim, the children of Israel still celebrated. I was gonna call the rabbi that I know, a friend of mine, Michael over on the east side, but I didn't have time this week, but they have rattles for the kids when they're celebrating the Feast of Forum. And what they do, they read the Book of Esther. And during the read of the Book of Esther, they have all different kinds of celebrations that happen. But one thing that's supposed to happen at every feast, when they start reading the Book of Esther, when they come to Haman's name, it stops. And they start screaming and yelling and rattling stuff. And what they say is, may he die in his own sin. May he rot. 
They start yelling and screaming in their celebration because they realize how close it came to Israel being wiped off the face of the earth. And you see, it's important, as the Bible shows us, that we remember what God has done for us. That's why we come to worship God every Sunday here at the church. Because what we're doing is we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. We don't worship on Saturday like the Jews do, who are under the law. We have been set free and we worship God on the first day of the week because the resurrection of Jesus Christ has freed us from the bondage. And that's why we worship him on Sunday and we remember what he's done. And you see, this is the beauty in all of our lives. When we go to worship God and we remember what he's done for us, how he's cared for us and what he's done, we should see that in America. What God has done, how miraculous he's delivered us from several wars. I was reading the other day in history about the hurricane that came through Washington and saved the buildings from burning and basically got the British out of, of, of Washington, D.C. because this great hurricane came. And how fortunate or how, uh, what lucky it was that it came through at that time. It wasn't lucky. It was not because it was fortunate. God brought that storm for a purpose, to deliver the children of Israel. And there's a lot of things that God does in our lives that delivers us. And our generation looks for that new thing in Acts chapter 17, always progressing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we forget, I was reading a philosopher who said this. He said, those who do not remember the past, this is a problem in our generation, are condemned to relive it. History is so important and where we've been and what we've come through. And that's why these folks, Mordecai and Esther, brought this day of celebration so important to the people of God so that they remember how close it came and what God delivered them from. And I remember when we were in seminary, I was in seminary, Sandy was in college, we were up in Michigan. And we went to this one Bible study, it was great. And I've done this several times since then for me to help understand. In fact, I remember doing it two years ago on Thanksgiving after we had been gone through some pretty tough stuff. And the, the teacher was from uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. He's one of the students at the seminary. And he said, I want you to take, and he handed out a piece of blank paper. And he gave us all this blank paper and then he had turned it sideways to portrait size. Then he said, I want you to put a dot on the left side. And he said, then I want to, at the end of the other side, I want you to put an arrow. He said, then I want you to draw the straight line from the dot to the arrow. And then where the dot is just right, born. The day you were born. And then he said, I want you to meditate and talk to God and reflect on the different stages of your life and what God had brought you through. Think about the different things that happened in your life, both good and bad, and what God had done to help you through those and brought it to about, because God is the one who brought it all about. He's the one who's laid out your life. And as you go through and you see what he's brought you out of, the trials and tribulations that every family has them. 
and also the good things that you went through, you get this heart of so much gratitude and joy and delight in God for what he's done in your life and how he's delivered you from some difficulties that are hard to deal with and yet he's been there all the time. And man, what a, what your heart just gets so overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving to him because of what he's doing. And you see, this is what Mordecai and Esther wanted to do for the children of Israel, to never forget. And that's one of the things the Jews say, never forget. Because who did they ever thought that that same extermination that was meant for the Jews back in, Ezra's time, in, in Esther's time was going to happen to the Jews in 1930 and 40 when Hitler exterminated millions of Jews, 1.5 million Jews because of his selfishness and hatred and anti-Semitic views and to remember that God had delivered them from that. And then finally, we see the commendation. King Azarias laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of its sea and all the accomplishments of the authority and the strength and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai which the king advanced, and they were not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings and the Medes and the Persians. For Mordecai the Jew was second only to the king of Cyrus, and great among the Jews and in the favor of many of the kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people, and one who spoke for the welfare of the whole nation. What we see is the king who missed him the first time, and then finally realized what a great man he was. And after they got rid of Haman and now they changed this all around and how Israel was finally settled in that peace, he takes Mordecai and makes him second in command and brings him deliverance for the Jews. And notice what kind of man he is. He's a man who not only works for the good of the Jews, but he also works for the good of the people of the land. There's a politician, Mordecai, who's got the power and he realizes what he has and that he's in the use of God's work in the world for the good. We need to pray for politicians that they will see that they're in it not for the good of themselves and not to build their bank account and not to build their prestige, but they're there to build the country and to build the county, to build the city for the good, for God's good in the world. We need to pray for these folks. We need to encourage them. The other day I have a friend that's in the business and he's a politician or he's into politics and he's in the position that he was pointed for. And he was going, I know, because I saw it in the news and what he was going through and I wrote him a text that I was praying for him and that God would bless him in the decisions that he makes in his position. And he was so grateful because he's a Christian. And what a challenge it is to be a Christian in that work. And to be in the political system. And it is a system. I've had friends who've gone and run for governor. I've had friends who've run for state house position. And they get up there for one year or for the first term. And they don't re-up re again because the system is so bent. And if you're not working with them, you're not going to get anything done. And they've come to realize that when they were working. And they got discouraged. 
We've got to pray for men and women who don't get discouraged and that will fight the fight and do what is right for all the peoples of the earth and do what's right for God's eyes and not the world. And that's what we need to do. And what this book of Esther shows us is there are people out there that can do that. Even people from low positions like Esther, a peasant girl that becomes the queen, and Mordecai, her peasant uncle who raised her and had nothing. God put him up into power, a second command of Persia. And we need to pray for that in this nation, that God will work in those individuals and raise them up, and that we can have a revival in this land, that we can have a revival in the church of Jesus Christ throughout the land, and we'll stand for what is true and what is godly and not for what they ought to protect their little safe little deal that they want. That God will do it. And Esther and Mordecai appear here because God raised them up. And we need God to raise up men and women who will be and do what is right in God's sight in the political arena and in all walks of life. And that's why today we come before our Lord. We ask Him and beg Him to help us in our nation and that he help us in our own lives because we know the seduction of the world and its power and how it can divert us from doing his will because Jesus said it well and this is our summary for this book he says it in Matthew 6 33 he says seek ye first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all this other stuff will be added unto you. That's his promise. And we can do that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this day that all as you called two people who were insignificant in the kingdom to raise them up to such great power who even faltered in their faith at times and stumbled and yet when push came to shove, you drew them out and they trusted you and did what was right. Father, I pray that for us in our spheres of influence that we have, the people around us that we love and care for and work with and, and have in our families, that Jesus, we can truly seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness. And all these things will take place as you work behind the scenes, help us to trust you and give ourselves wholeheartedly to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's close with our benediction and let's sing our closing song. Now God, who caused the light to shine in the darkness, shine in our hearts and through us as we go into the world in his kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, amen.